Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. With me on the line this week is Liberty Baller's own Dave Early. We're going to be talking about the Sixers' 118-96 loss to the Utah Jazz. And then after that, we're going to dive into some uh, talk about the trade speculation market, particularly in regards to the situations in Indiana and Portland. Uh, Dave, how are you doing tonight? Other than the game, I'm doing good. Yeah, How not. Doing? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, not the most entertaining one to have to discuss tonight. Kind of a blah effort from from our Sixers. Uh, you, you kind of thought they might not have the most spirited effort. It was a back to back. They had traveled after their win in Charlotte the night before, but uh, Utah had also played. So both teams, no rest advantage for either either side. Sixers at home. The Sixers have had two of their worst performances of the season, both against Utah. Does that concern you at all, Dave? Um, I don't find it surprising. Um, I guess concern is fair. I almost feel like, well, why would they have played well against Utah? <laughs> Utah, Utah looks like they could go to the finals, and the Sixers look like, you know, an eighth seed. So, it's of course it's concerning. I guess um, it's not surprising to me. I just feel like uh, that's kind of what happens when they're both reasonably rested. Yeah, I, I guess this is the difference between seeing a slightly above average Sixers team and a true contender in, in the Jazz. Uh, the Jazz just in both meetings this year have looked like they're on another level. And I didn't, I didn't feel like that as much in previous years, but I feel like the Jazz have continued to tinker around the edges and, and improve on the margins, whereas the Sixers, I believe, have taken a significant step back where they were a year ago and in previous years. And yeah, yeah. It, it's just kind of a clear delineation between the two clubs. Yeah, the, these teams met last March, and it was a fun game. It was one of the sig- Sixers' signature wins of the season that went to overtime where Tobias Harris carried them. Um, and it, it sort of represented what we came to expect. Like if you came to Philly, you were probably going to lose, even if you were a team headed to the finals, like the bucks didn't expect to come to Philly and win. Uh, the Suns didn't, the jazz didn't, the Lakers didn't, um, the Clippers didn't and the Nets didn't, you know? So we, we, I guess we took for granted that we were a really good regular season home team for a long time. And this, this team, has this like $30 million void on the books, which is not ideal for a million reasons. It's just, it's a team built that with two or three all-star caliber players, and they're only getting one all-star at this point. Yeah. It's there's over 30 million reasons. Well, it's why it could be a problem. And beyond the poor cap situation and, the, the team not quite looking like a contender. We also had some troubling injury adjacent situations spring up tonight. Uh, first, Joel Embiid, who had a really good first quarter. He was doing some of his unicorn-esque stuff where he's a, this huge seven-footer taking it full court coast to coast for a dunk and just had the jumper working a bit early on. Uh, he, he looked like he was going to be in store for a big game. And then suddenly he's grabbing at his rib cage and it, it bothers him for a while. He seems to be playing through it. And then in the third quarter, he goes back to the locker room. He comes back out in the fourth and 
he, it's reported he had right abdominal pain, but he was going to try to play through it. Um, the broadcast on NBA TV described the pain as severe. So, I mean, Dave, this isn't good, obviously, for a guy that it was already dealing with like kind of a lingering knee thing. He, he had COVID, but he looks to have kind of rebounded from that and didn't show any ill effects post COVID, but just another, another injury we can tack onto the board, right? Yeah. It's uh, I'm guessing he's going to get an X-ray tonight or tomorrow to see if there's any, uh, you know, fractures in the ribs. It's probably what the first thing they would look for. Uh, and if, his ribs are okay, then I, I would think we could at least rule out some some lengthy absences. I'm not sure what else might be. I remember, was it last year where he was fighting for post position and he slammed his shoulder and he missed a couple games? Um, so I had, I had flashbacks of that when I saw him bang bodies and then come out of the game at one point holding his chest area or rib area. So not ideal for sure. Uh, hopefully not a not a long-term thing if if at all he misses games yeah i guess you would hope that it's maybe a bruised rib and not a fractured rib exactly kind of kind of a better case scenario um so that that's definitely going to be something to watch and i'm sure we'll we'll get the reporting on that in the coming days the other one that was a little concerning was tyrese maxi early in the game on a drive to the basket uh went up for a layup took a really hard foul as he hit the ground, it looked like he he couldn't quite catch himself and his head slammed back into the floor. Uh, you know, all the signs of a possible concussion. He did go back and presumably get checked out and get the green light to come back out. It was a very quick kind of uh, turnaround. And a lot of people were, they, they pointed out on social media and everything that the NFL and the NBA must have very different concussion protocols because it was like Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl with the the amount of turnaround time for him to get back into the game. Uh, he looked fine the rest of the game. He he had a number of plays where he, he went aggressively to the to the hoop and he he dove on the floor a few times for for loose balls and what have you. So he he looked n- no worse for wear. I, I I guess we just have to fingers crossed that these concussion situations can kind of spring up afterwards and you just got to hope for the best, right? Yeah. I, I thought the exact same thing. I didn't see that on social media, but I did text to a friend of the pod trill bro, dude. Um, I texted with him and I was saying like, you know, I guess Carson Wentz, for example, was taken out of a huge playoff game against Seattle. And in some of these football injuries, the guy bangs his head on grass in a helmet. This was like the Tobias Harris injury in the bubble where a guy's way up in the air and his feet get sweeped out from under him and then he lands and bangs his head without a helmet on hardwood. So it's, you're always so concerned. And then he didn't get up. Uh, I was scared for a moment. So I'm really happy to hear that he was okay and that the medical team decided to, to clear him. But you do wonder, like, maybe they do have some sort of different type of protocol because I thought for sure he was going to be out for the game with at least concussion, like, uh, what do you call it? Health and safety. <laughs> concussion. Yeah. We have, we have so many protocols these days. It's hard to keep them all straight. <laughs> yeah. But just like monitoring, making sure he's okay. And we'll check on him tomorrow kind of deal. Yeah. Especially for a guy who he was out with an illness earlier in the week. He'd played the night before. Uh, I mean, maybe just, best to be on the the side of caution but uh yeah he he looked like 
his regular self upon his return. So fingers crossed that uh, he continues to be fine moving forward. Uh, So I wanted to ask you this later, but I guess I'll ask you this now. Would you call Tyrese Maxey the most positive development of the Sixers season thus far? Um, The most positive development on the, on the roster. He's definitely the most positive, positive development. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. There was a time, there was a time that we were really excited about the Corkmoss contract. You know, it looked like a huge steal. Um, Not so much anymore. (laughs) It's been a tough (laughs) stretch for, for, for Furkin. It's been a tough stretch for a lot of Sixers, not named Joel Embiid, including Tyrese Maxey, who's still the, probably the most exciting um, bright spot on the team this season. That, that, is in large part because we didn't expect him to be as where he is at only 21. Seth Curry has been awesome and consistent. Yeah. So that we got to, we got to give him a shout out too. He's go ahead. I was just going to say that w- that would be my other thing. The other possibility I would hear from people if, if as an impossible answer would be Seth carrying over the aggressiveness and the kind of like lead lead dog mentality that he had in the playoffs last year and bringing that, you know, 90% of his games this year. Uh, and he's, he's just kind of like an 18 to 20 point a game guy. And nobody even thinks twice about it. Like again, tonight, 18 points on seven of 12 shooting, like, but thinking back on that game, no one was like, man, that was a really great Seth game because he just, he does that. That's, that's just what he does now. You don't even think twice about it. Yeah, there was a time where we really got to enjoy watching J.J. Redick and Joel Embiid do dribble handoff dances. Uh, and so when J.J. lost the step and, and left the team, you know, there was a void there. I know people didn't miss J.J. emotionally uh, in Sixerville, but Joel Embiid missed him. And Seth Curry is doing uh, as good of an impression and much better these days. So... He's been awesome to have. He's uh, just just plays in a way that surprises me all the time. Oh, I didn't know he could do that. I find myself saying so. Him and him and Maxi for sure. Um, although Maxi, since Joel Embiid has returned to the lineup, has struggled to find his his role again. Yeah, that has definitely been a theme in the last couple of weeks. Is can Maxi and Embiid both? reach nearer their their maximum level of plays while they're playing together and mm-hmm. a lot of people have put put the, put it out there that maybe they should that the, their time should be split up more and maxi can be the the lead ball handler with the second units um kind of like what tobias was in, in previous years and and maxi can be given the the free reign to create and just kind of go off on his own whereas when he's in the lineup with Embiid, he he sometimes just gets caught either the dunker spot, which is criminal, and I don't know why he's ever there, and uh, Doc should put an end to that immediately. Because um, <laughs> he's literally replacing Ben Simmons, so they yeah. want someone there. <laughs> yeah, like, he's not Ben Simmons, Doc. He's, he's A, he's much shorter, so he's he's not going to be getting that and going up for a dunk, even back when Ben Simmons used to go up for dunks. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's not the offensive rebounder Ben Simmons is. Like, wh- why would you plug and play guys who are entirely different in that role? So that doesn't make sense. And then, but even when he's more reasonably spaced outside the arc, 
he's just kind of waiting to spot up shoot. And that's not a strength for Tyrese right now either. So uh, sometimes we've seen flashes of a good pick and roll action from the, from the top of the key where Maxi and Embiid have a nice little two man game that that's worked and that's encouraging. And you want to keep building on that, but yeah, maybe you do want to split up their time a little more and, and Tyrese can play more with the second unit and, and shake who is more of a, a guy who can spot up a little bit better than Tyrese. Uh, maybe he takes a little more of those first team minutes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, that's been something on a few of our, minds for a while at Liberty Ballers were wondering why it, it seems pretty obvious like I don't know if you play pickup but if you get on a, on the court with someone who's much better than you a lot of times you don't want to shoot because you know it's a better shot if you just give it to your teammate and that I think that's kind of what Maxi is doing with Joel since he's returned it's like we run through Joel as we should the team doesn't really need me to drop 20 anymore so I'm gonna I'm gonna find my role after he gets his and he has struggled in that sort of, you know, tertiary half court player. And it it just gives me all these flashbacks to the exact same conversations we had a year ago with Ben and Joel. It was like, Ben is always so much better when Joel is out of the lineup. How come doc doesn't stagger their minutes a little bit more. I saw a conversation today. Derek Bodner was having on Twitter And he was saying like, you know, maybe four to six minutes that he's out there without Joel, he can get his confidence going. And I was like, oh, this is, this is exactly the conversations we had all year last year. Get Ben's confidence going when, by not putting him out there with Joel, even for five minutes um, and let him carry those bench units. So Maxie and Simmons are alike. Doc was right all all along. (laughs) Um, I I think what we're learning is basically like when Joel is the focal point, it's tough for a non superstar to get his, you know? Yeah, like for if, sure. if Dame Lillard was here, he would get his. But if it's Maxie or if it's Simmons, they're just probably going to defer to him. Yeah, it's it's a tricky, especially, you know, Tyrese is a, a second year guy. He this is his first year as a starter. Like he's really just trying to find his way. And he, yeah, he had some success while Joel was out and but that's just a couple weeks. And then you come back and you've had this mentality for the year and a half or so that you've been with the organization that, Hey, everything funnels through Joel. And it's kind of hard to turn, flip the switch back and be like, okay, I still have to find mine while getting this guy, all the touches that he, you know, needs for us to be a successful team. It's, it's hard to strike the right balance. And it's, I'm sure it's even harder for a second year guy who, has had one real training camp and one real off season to work on his right. game after, after the pandemic and everything. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be some, take some time, but just remember this is a guy who, you know, they had 21st overall in the draft and he's still incredibly young. And just the fact that he's, we've seen the ceiling from him or, you know, not his eventual ceiling, but such a high ceiling already in, in, the action we've seen from him this year that the, just, just continue to be encouraged by him would be my, my takeaway or what I would want people to take away from us. Yeah. I think if you want a 21 year old, who's like learning to play point guard for the first time in his pro career to be co- extremely consistent, you're asking too much. So what we've got has already been 
easily exceeding expectations for me. Uh, and I understand the challenge there in, in making it work while there's a force as dynamic as Joel. So I, I would like to see, like you asked, maybe, maybe stagger their minutes, let, let Maxi do some of what worked so well for him when Joel was sick for three weeks and, and get his confidence going that way. Yeah. So maybe that is something we'll see, or maybe uh, Joel will have a rib issue and we'll, We'll need to see it because that'll be the only option is to have oh. go back to the Tyrese offense. You, you know, oh. you never know. <laughs> um, yeah, circling back to, to tonight's game against Utah, though, obviously the, the three-point disparity was huge with Utah making 15 and Sixers only making six. Uh, you know, that's a small sample size. Sixers usually shoot better than 18% from three, obviously. <laughs> um, Utah is you know, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, both both in percentage and volume. So you come in knowing that's something they're going to do. But what I was concerned about was the offensive rebounding again. So Utah had 16. Uh, for comparison, the Sixers just had six, but it was six for Rudy Gobert and six for Hassan Whiteside, who had a double-double in just 15 minutes off the bench. It, it really seems like this offensive rebounding thing for the opposition is a problem for the Sixers. Is there any thing you can kind of point to for, for why they seem to be struggling on the defensive class? Um, I guess it, it just kind of feels like Joel Embiid or Andre Drummond and four small players. Is that fair? And are if, are we if, considering to buy a small at the four? I don't know. He's not a small player person <laughs> but uh but just the sixers give you a small vibe other than their center i guess yeah they don't they don't have a lot of like long wings anymore like they're very like maxi and curry's a very small backcourt and they they play shakes six five and you know cork moss is and cork moss and thibel are six seven or so but these these are bench guys like danny isn't this proficient rebounder he he's you know, roaming out on the perimeter more, chasing his defensive assignment. And then you have Maxi and Curry, who are both very small for their respective positions. So, yeah, a lot does fall on Embiid and Harris. And I guess it's just kind of a departure from the ultra big lineups the Sixers used to throw out there. And <laughs> true. Yeah, maybe, maybe we were just spoiled by that. And maybe the rest of the roster oh, potentially... that's the last thing we were by those teams <laughs> <laughs> but i i did in this in this area of the game yeah, um yeah. i mean maybe the rest of the roster was kind of used to like hey we have a 610 point guard and he grabs a lot of these things and maybe that's a bit of an adjustment for them to make that they're doing the kind of the same things they were before and simmons would just kind of clean clean those things up i i, I hadn't really as we're talking through this is the first time I'm kind of considering that, but maybe that's an area that that Sixers miss Ben Simmons more than people have really credited. I think, um, so there was a really good piece by Chris Herring about how total rebounds may not be as important as something like rebound percentage. I think I, if I have that right, um, I'll have to go look that up later, but Basically, I think where they would miss Simmons the most is because there's, you know, a top one, two or three defensive team with him. So he, you put him on someone like Mitchell 
you know, in that game last year, I think Mitchell had like 34 points on 31 shots or whatever. And the Sixers did a good job on, on him in that second half in this one. Um, but they do miss him because when you have him on a perimeter defender and then you have Joel occupying the rim, you force teams into really tough shots where they have no chance to get their offensive rebound. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's like that Simmons is big and now you're replacing him with Maxi and you're small. I think it's because the composition of the stops you're getting are a little different. We know ourselves that when Tyrese Maxey attacks and transition, he gets a lot of those sort of Kobe assists where he misses and then Andre Drummond cleans the glass. Yeah. So you can, you can leave a team in a vulnerable position by attacking sometimes and get, gaining advantages by getting into the paint and sort of causing havoc. And teams are doing that to these Sixers right now. So even Joel Embiid, who's one of the best defensive players in the NBA, doesn't look that way all the time because there's so many uh, guys blowing by their man and he's put into these tough choices. Yeah. So just one of the many problems that have sprung up for the Sixers this year, as they move to 14 and 12 on the season, another tough game against golden state coming up before we end tonight's talk and move on any did you have any positive takeaways from tonight's game dave it's been it's been very doom and gloom uh obviously it's a 22 point loss but at any silver linings we can take from this uh tobias harris about four free throws oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we pay him what 36 million or something and we're happy he, he got four throws. if he gets to the free throw line for four free throws every game he would be a vastly superior player to the one he is right now so yeah all right very really uh stretching positivity Sorry. <laughs> yeah we, we're really people are running through the streets with excitement right now <laughs> All right, so tough, tough one tonight for Philadelphia. One eighteen ninety six loss to the Jazz. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. So, Dave, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about tonight was, you know, trade rumors are always out there. People are both locally and nationally are wondering how the Ben Simmons saga is going to end. So we're always on the look for trade partners. Um, A couple that... One that has been a, a main kind of potential landing spot, Portland. They've had some developments recently. And another that's been on the periphery in, in Simmons speculation is the Indiana Pacers. They Let's start there. They've recently had some reports that they're basically looking to rebuild. They're throwing 
Karis Levert, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner all on the trading block. They're all available for the for the right price. Um, what were your first thoughts when you, you heard those reports? I think it's good for the Sixers. They represent uh, another third team, sort of, you know, a, a facilitator. I don't know that the Sixers are necessarily going to be chomping at the bit to add someone like six foot 11, 240 Sabonis um, or go the Twin Towers route with Miles Turner, but that this team might want Ben Simmons and other teams might want one of those two guys and Lavert um, gives you another option. Anyone, it's just always surprising to hear this team's just going to straight up rebuild. So I think that's always a good thing when someone in your conference decides to, to blow it up, this opportunity. Yeah, Harrison Grimm had a, a nice breakdown of the situation for us on LibertyBallers.com. Uh, the, the, real, the real shame is that Malcolm Brogdon was offered the extension, and Brogdon is a guy that Sixers fans have had their eye on for a couple of years now, and now he's not eligible to be traded to, until the offseason, uh, which is unfortunate because that would have been a really nice piece for the Sixers to get back Um even in a three-team deal, as you rightly point out, seems to be the the path that would uh, allow them to to do any negotiations with Indiana because Sabonis and MB does not seem to be a pairing that would work. Um, I, I I actually am intrigued by the idea of a Miles Turner Joel Embiid combination. I think they're both mobile enough that defensively it would work. They're obviously both great rim protectors, and I think. Uh, if either one had to guard like a, a slightly quicker four, they, they could maybe do it. And then offensively, Turner is a, a good outside shooter. He's he's excellent for his position as an outside shooter. Um, everything in sight. Yeah. So I, I, I actually would kind of love to see it. But given the the cost that Turner would require from Indiana, you're, you'd be kind of all in in giving up your last big trade asset in Ben Simmons. And I don't think that would be the right move to then experiment with something um, just in a vacuum. I like the idea of Turner and Bede, but practically it's not something the Sixers should pursue. Um, but you're right. Yeah. It's the Pacers are a team that want Ben Simmons. Um, th- that's been something that's been reported in the past that they, that they clearly have interest in acquiring Simmons. So just the fact that there's another team out there that does, that's very beneficial for the Sixers because that opens up different avenues. And and the Pacers having a lot of good, you know, good players and assets available that might be, not be the best fit for the Sixers, but could be a good fit for another team out there. And then you, you would hope that, that that third party would then have things that the Sixers would uh, want to receive back in a trade. So, yeah. I, yeah. I think you, you you broke it down pretty succinctly that that's it's good for the Sixers, but don't expect to see Karis Levert or Sabonis or Joel Embiid in a Sixers uniform. Maybe maybe Levert, if it was a three-team deal, maybe Levert could be a piece that goes back to the Sixers. It would be Levert, and then he wouldn't be the main piece, but something from you know another another team as a third party, and then either Sabonis or Turner would go to that third party. What what would you think just hypothetically of of Levert in a in a Sixers system and on this roster? I think added to the roster as it's currently constructed would be very helpful. Uh, I think the way that the Sixers front office would be looking at it is: Are we a player like Karis Levert away from being 
contenders and I would think they would lean no. So I think that's, that's why they wouldn't be interested in, in acquiring one of these players like Levert Sabonis, even Brogdon uh, and Turner, even if Brogdon were available, because I don't think they think that gets us over the top. That makes us a top two team in the East when we're going to have to beat someone at their best. And I think that's where they probably get into a lot of fans point out, well, you don't want to flush a season of Joel Embiid's prime. And I think they're worried about flushing three or four seasons of his prime. And that's something they might start to worry about if they traded Ben Simmons for like two future late picks and a player like Levert. That's a great point. Yeah. People always kind of frame it that way. Like you can't, can't waste one season and all right, yeah, you've made yourself 2% better with this Ben Simmons trade for, for the current season. Like you, you brought in like a Karis Levert type. Um, yeah, he's helpful. He's like a lot better than Shake Milton would be in your rotation as like this, oh, this yeah. guy that can carry you for stretches and would be a, a great second unit uh, lead creator. Like Levert would be awesome, but is Karis Levert getting you to the conference finals. I, I, I don't think as the roster is currently constructed, added Levert, adding Levert would do that. So now you've locked yourself in with no flexibility really for, as you said, the next few years. So was that worth it to have a 10% chance of beating whoever in the second round of the playoffs? And so you went from a, 20% chance to a 30% chance and it didn't happen. So now, now you're stuck for, for three to four years. No, it does, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So right. I think D- Daryl is right to, to wait until you, a real difference maker emerges and it's probably going to get till February. Like people really need to wrap their head around that. Um, or like, later. Yeah. <laughs> people are really going to go crazy if uh, the trade deadline passes, but, I, yeah, you're right. It's not out of the realm of possibility that that will happen. Um, we'll, we'll have a podcast on that day. If nothing's happened, we'll say, all right, if the best available player is, is Karis LeVert, TJ McConnell, and, and Justin Holiday and a pick, or we hold out hope that Dame or Beal or Levine or Kyrie or Harden wants a change, I think there's a chance that you and I would agree that maybe it's better to just wait and – Get that, get that 15th seed and get a chance at a top four pick like the Raptors did and, and go from there. Yeah. If I don't know if, if, if it was, if it was Indiana and they were still interested, I might pull the trigger with Turner and then you, maybe you get Turner and Levert and you see, you get to try that experiment. And if it doesn't work out, then you still have a really marketable guy on the on the trading block in in Turner like you can you can do something with him in the offseason like you're you're not you're not locked in with that being your lineup construction like you'd have a a really valuable player on a good expiring contract that people would be interested in the offseason um but yeah he he doesn't have the value of a Ben Simmons so i don't know it's a tough <laughs> we 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 go around and around and we keep talking about it and it's just a really tough line to tightrope walk and uh yeah i don't it's it's going to be interesting to see see how daryl resolves this because it's it's a really hard situation um but uh either way 
good for the Sixers that Indiana is on a rebuild and officially. And uh, yeah, they they could definitely be a good third team in a, in a potential three team deal because they are interested in Simmons and they do have good players um, that other teams who might be better fits for those players could would definitely be interested in. Um, so the other situation was Portland. Um, we've talked about Portland a lot because obviously Dame Lillard is somebody that Sixers fans have had their eye on, but Dame recently said that he wanted to join forces with Ben Simmons. And of course, Dame has denied this um, publicly. These are all reports from, uh, I believe, Sham Sharania and Sam Amick joint reporting on that, that uh, Dame's camp wanted to play with Ben Simmons. Uh, I think, what was the report? CJ McCollum, Nasir Little, and... Four picks. Four picks was what Daryl requested. I think Portland offered two or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daryl asked for four, and that was rebuffed by the Blazers. Um, I I mean, uh, I I would... Would you do the two picks? Uh, first, first, we should say that CJ McCollum is out now with a punctured lung. That that news was announced earlier in the week. So this obviously any any hypothetical trade discussions would be assuming a healthy CJ McCollum. So you know all all the best wishes to him, and hopefully he has a full recovery and is back on the court soon. That's you know punctured lung is a serious situation. So all the best to him. Um, so that aside, uh, what did what did you think about that? that reported uh, offer of CJ little and uh, a couple picks. Uh, I think it would make the Sixers a lot better than they are right now. Uh, I, I think I tend to agree with the Sixers default, you know, de facto position that they would like to hold out hope for something better. Um, Cause I think CJ, if you have CJ, you quickly lose that, possibility that outside possibility that you could land someone as good as Dame Beal Levine if if the right situation came even though those are all very unlikely um and I don't know that you're as as good enough to beat you know like a, a fully loaded Bucks team or whoever emerges of Heat Nets uh and whoever's playing at their best at the end of the year I think you'd have a tough time beating them even with McCollum yeah, I've I'm, I've discussed this before on on various LB pods, but I just think there's way too much overlap between CJ and Seth, um, mm-hmm. and especially given the fact that Seth has carried over his playoff success and and looks like this locking in starter and a guy you want in crunch time. Uh, I, I don't see how CJ and Seth could coexist on a court, um, given their their respective defensive liabilities. You. You can't have two guys like that in crunch time. We've seen time and time again in postseason series how how teams will expose if if you have even one weakness in your defensive chain and and two would just be too much to overcome in my mind. Uh, so I I really think any Simmons trade, unless you're getting a true like superstar like Dame Lillard, I think it really has to be either it has to be a wing. Uh, if you're talking about this, this like second tier of guys, um, getting getting somebody who's who's a guard and a defensive liability like CJ McCollum, I just don't think that works. Uh, so, yeah, I think Daryl was right to pass on that. Uh, we'll see. 
how desperate Portland gets as their season progresses. It's they're obviously not doing as well as they would have liked coming into the year. I, I think they're having a level of success that many people expected because they didn't have significant upgrades in the off season. Um, they've already overhauled their, their front office mid season. Now there's a lot of reports about Chauncey Billups, not being able to connect with the team. So just, not a lot of good vibes in, in Portland right now. They've, oh, they've lost not four a lot straight. Of good vibes. <laughs> so I, I feel like you, you can afford to wait a couple months and, and hope that they get increasingly desperate. Um, and the offers will only improve from their end. But yeah, I, I just don't think CJ McCollum as a centerpiece is, is what you're looking for. I, I don't think, again, kind, you would agree similar, similarly to what we discussed with Levert. You, even adding CJ McCollum to the roster now, that's, I think you said it, but they're still not true contenders, even in the East, right? I, I don't think they would be, no. I think um, I, I would push back a little bit on what you were saying about the overlap between McCollum and Seth, in that I think McCollum's a lot better at getting into the paint, getting by his man, and, and creating an advantage in the half court. Um, and I think there is a possibility that you could do this sort of Joel and, and the Shangri-La of shooters all around. But yeah, I think the defensive end is tough. Maybe you try to counter that by having Seth be like a six man of the year candidate, but your closing lineup when you're trying to win a road game in Milwaukee, that's going to be rough defensively. And I think we alluded to it earlier. If everyone on the other team has an advantage and Joel Embiid wants to step up and cut off some of those easy shots, then you're happy to let someone like Hassan Whiteside focus on that glass. Uh, and there's no one to stop him from doing that. And that's going to be the case if they had a team like that. It's going to be the case if they continue with the team that they have. Because Joel Embiid comes out to get stops and there's no one to clean the glass. Yeah, so tricky situation all the way around. Um they're already struggling in that area and, and yeah, adding, adding a, a guy like CJ who you're right, would help on the offensive end tremendously Shangri-La of shooters. I feel like that'd be a great podcast title. Um, <laughs> I like that, that phrase a lot. Uh, and yeah, it, Joel and for outside shooters, that's, that's always been the dream, right? Ever uh, like all the, the Ben detractors all, all throughout the years, like, oh, well, if Joel just had four shooters around him, imagine how dangerous that would be. Uh, yeah, it would obviously be great, but I feel like you brought up Milwaukee. Yeah, they have they have great shooting. They also have great length and defensive versatility. And you're talking about guys like Seth and McCollum. That just wouldn't be the case in Philadelphia. And then Maxie is another guy who's undersized. Like, he has a good defensive potential as a point of attack point guard defender but he's also very undersized like so yeah it'd be really hard um i I just don't think that's the right the right piece just because he's he seems to be the most available piece that doesn't make him the right piece in my mind yeah i'm with you i'm with you all right so remember everyone it's only december uh already portland is kind of in disarray indiana a team that people might have thought oh they're they're going to be a surefire playoff team. They're already mm-hmm. talking about rebuilding. And yeah. we're, what, 
seven, eight weeks into the season. So give, give this another month or two, let things marinate. And I'm sure other uh, situations will fall into a bit of chaos and somebody's going to take a look at this multiple time, all-star defensive player of the year runner up uh, and say, you know what, maybe here he will dunk the ball. And I feel like maybe they'll take a shot. So someone, I mean, someone would be crazy not to, to, to look at that one moment and say, that's definitely going to define him for the next four years. Uh, I think would be a mistake that some teams will probably make, but um, you'd think that the smarter teams will be looking a little more closely at buying low on a guy like him. You know, that Daryl Morey would be trying to get him right now if we didn't have him on the team. Yeah, he's definitely a distra- he's a distressed asset, and smart yeah. GMs identify distressed assets and they try to try to get them while their value is low. So, yeah, fortunately for the Sixers, they have a smart GM who is not settling for some trade that values Simmons at his low point. Now, he's, he's if if we didn't have Daryl Morey, you would I would pick I would name like the five best GMs <laughs> in the league and say one of them's going to get this guy from from the yeah. Sixers. He's going to go to Toronto within a week. Yeah. Um, El- Elton would have already traded. M- McCollum would have been in a Sixers uniform uh, a month ago. If, yeah. Maybe, if Elton was three. the GM. Yeah. I don't want to throw Elton under the bus, but I would say like 95% of the GMs around the league might have already had McCollum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Elton, but the Tobias trade does not look good in retrospect. So, right. uh, yeah, but I'll I'll put Elton in quotes for that one because I think he was just one of several voices. But... Collaborative front office. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the I guess the the silver lining and the the positivity we can take away from today's pod after the the tough loss in, to Utah, where the team did not look good and the Jazz just looked like they're a tier above Philadelphia. The silver lining is that other teams around the league are even in even more disarray and somebody is eventually going to to want Ben Simmons and a deal that more fairly approximates his value will come available than what are currently available. Yeah, a lot of the fans start to feel as soon as they're frustrated with the player, they want to trade him at his lowest point. That's why you're starting to hear Tobias Harris's name pop up in trades. Some people are trying to trade for Khan, obviously Simmons. Um, I think that that a, a GM like Daryl Morey is probably looking at it the other way. You know, does does the way Maxi has played, does the way Seth have played, do they get me in the conversation for a superstar here? As someone once said, you have to have the longest view in the room. So, <laughs> who said that? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I I don't some know. Smart guy that got yeah, some well. some smart guy that used to be in charge of this franchise. Um, All right, Dave. So I think that's a good note to end on. Where can everybody find you and uh, all your work? Uh, You can find my work at Liberty Ballers. Um, I am on Twitter at David Early. uh, And I also cover the Brooklyn Nets for Clutch Points. All right. So everybody, it's... uh, you know, not not the most most positive night tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers, but I'm sure there's better days ahead. So keep the faith, I suppose. And I will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Have a great weekend. All right. Good night. Thank you.